Let's read uh, Jonah chapter 3 together. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Thus says the word of the Lord. Would you guys please welcome Tom Hall as he comes, and you may be seated. Good morning. What a joy it is to be with you again. I've missed you. And I'm glad there's somebody here for me to see. (laughs) Last time I was supposed to come, I made a big mistake that made it impossible to come. And then I found out later you wouldn't have been here anyway. So, worked out all right, I suppose. But I'm sure glad to be here with you today. So, from this part of Jonah's story... God wants to speak to us today. Do you believe that? And um, I've entitled today's message, A Challenge to the Maladjusted. So if this isn't going to apply to you, you can leave now. Um, A second title might have been, The Privilege of Repentance. I hope you leave here today realizing that repentance is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given humans. And uh, if we don't know how to capitalize on it, it is uh, to our loss and uh, it's a dishonor to the God who gives it, right? So all of us know we live in an information age, but we may not have thought through the implications of that reality. So I want to just describe to you what you and I do every day of our lives unless you're like on vacation or something or unless you make an effort for this not to happen. You are deluged with information every day of your life. I mean, uh, you get emails, you get texts, you're, you have social media, you have news media, you have a uh, few people. Few people still read those newspaper things. Um, 
information everywhere you look. You can't walk through the airport. You can't go down the street. Information everywhere. And what happens is we can't handle the deluge of information. And so we sort it. We're constantly sorting information. And I think the first criterion of sorting is what can I do anything about and what can't I? Right? And the vast majority of the information we are getting falls in the second category. It's mostly information I can't do a thing about. We develop a a habitual response to new information that amounts to, well, how about that? (laughs) Right? Or raise an eyebrow, right? (laughs) Most of the stuff we hear, we can't do anything about. It just becomes part of our, you know, maybe our interest, maybe our entertainment, maybe our, maybe a slight twinge of concern, But the vast majority of the things we know we can't do anything about. And so what happens to our hearts, saints, is this. We develop a bias toward ignoring information. Think about it. Does that apply to you? A bias toward there's just too much. And there's too much I know to do that I'm not doing. There's too much I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing. Am I talking to the right group? We have a heart habit that the Bible calls hard-heartedness. <laughs> the Bible calls it hard-heartedness when the information is coming from God. We treat God's information as just more of the plethora of facts and opinions that we deal with every day. And it is a danger to your soul to let that happen. I believe the book of Jonah was written and uh, kept in God's book for God's people to see this danger clearly and to respond to it. God's people in the northern kingdom of Israel had heard and rejected many a prophet. I mean, God sent some of His big guns to Israel, right? Elijah, Elisha, for instance. Big guns. And chronically, that northern kingdom, the ten tribes that had left and, and, and made their own way in the north of uh, the promised land, they had become calloused to the message of God, whether it was a message of danger or whether it was a message of, of hope. They had become callous to it. They needed a jolt of reality to help them see their problem and its solution. So the story of Jonah, the reluctant prophet to Nineveh, was recorded. In this story, Jonah's already dealt with pagan sailors in chapter 2, remember? And um, now, in this uh, uh, third chapter, he's dealing with... I'm sorry, in chapter 1... He dealt with the sailors. In this third chapter, he's dealing with a pagan city and a pagan king in an indirect way, at least with the king. And uh, 
This city, by the way, is the capital of Assyria, which 150 or years so after this would defeat the northern kingdom and scatter them throughout the ancient world. So for Nineveh and Assyria to be players in this story would have caught the attention of the Israelites later in their history. Now, as we read the text earlier from chapter 3, it's always helpful if Jesus has commented on Old Testament Scripture to take his comments into account. Would you agree? And I'm sure Mark has referred to this from Matthew 12, but I'm going to read it to you from Matthew 12, and I want to call your attention to a specific portion of it. Jesus said to them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. But it's this next sentence I want you to pay attention to. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And what's the implication? You're not repenting at my preaching. And then the rest of his statement is, something greater than Jonah is here. So my simple proposition to you today is this. We can't let pagans outrepent us. I mean... Doesn't this kind of provoke you a little bit? It's like, I'm not going to let a bunch of pagan Ninevites out-repent out me. They don't know what I know about God. They don't know what I know about the something better that Jesus has brought in the kingdom of God. They don't know what it costs Jesus to make that kingdom ours. They don't know the promises and the hope that are in that kingdom. Why should they out-repent me? These things, my brethren, ought not to be. And that is the idea of today's message. As God's people, we have better reasons to adjust our lives to Christ's message than even our neighbors who don't know Him. We ought to be the best repenters on our block. Right? Why? Because we're God's people. Now, before we... What we're going to do is we're going to look at how the Ninevites repented and how we have the privilege of repenting more fully and completely than they did because of Jesus. But here's what I want to do first. I used in that previous uh, sentence the verb adjust. Uh, Repent is a church word. And like a lot of other church words, it can uh, become unclear because we use it for so many things. So today I want you to think with me about a near synonym of the word repent, and that is the word adjust. For those of you that are believers in, lovers of, and followers of Jesus Christ, there came a time in your life where you adjusted by 180 degrees, right? Right? You did a, an about-face adjustment because you heard the Word of the Lord. And that is the beginning of a life of repentance. 
But often we are um, deceived into thinking that repentance is an occasional thing for believers. It's not. And that repentance is defined by 180 degrees. It's not. Repentance is every time you adjust because of what God says. Now, if that's what repentance is, how often, how much should we be repenting? Lots. (laughs) And to be a little more specific, every time God speaks. Make sense? That's what I mean today by repentance. Now, there may be people here today who need to make a 180 degree turn, and it is our prayer that today is the day you do it. We want you to join us in this journey of being received in love by the God who made us and against whom we rebelled and um, from whose heart Jesus was sent to rescue us. We want you to join us in a life of repentance. And we hope to help you learn how to repent because Lord knows we've done plenty of it. And we need to do more. I want you to notice some things about their repentance in the story that I believe we can learn from their example and take further. First of all, their repentance was immediate. Their repentance was immediate. Jonah couldn't get through the first of his three days journey either through or around the city of Nineveh before the people started repenting. Isn't that what the the story said? Nineveh was a three days journey, but on the first day, he he delivered the message and people started repenting. It was like, well, okay. They repented immediately. Now, are you going to let a bunch of Ninevites repent more quickly than you? Are are, are you going to let Ninevites or, for that matter, uh, pagan sailors on a boat you're using to escape from the presence of the Lord, as if that were possible. Are you going to let them respond to God more quickly than you do? The one who claims the name of Jesus? That makes no sense at all. Particularly when we take into account that from Jesus' own mouth and from the other things we know about Him from His Word and from our experience, can we agree Jesus offers something much better than Jonah was offering? (laughs) We'll talk a little more about what Jonah said and left out of his message. But can we agree from the get-go that when Jesus comes and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get on the train, it's pulling out of the station. And it's going somewhere you want to be. Right? That is the proclamation of Jesus, not just in the early chapters of the four Gospels, but it is the proclamation of Jesus all day, every day. Saints, my own people, adjust to the reality of the availability of the kingdom of heaven. Because every time you adjust, you get more of it. 
And the kingdom of heaven is what you were made for. You were created and now recreated to live in that kingdom. Why wouldn't you want to adjust for that? Right? So what I want to say to you from this, in terms of what we can learn from the Ninevites' repentance, change your response as soon as you hear God's warning. Don't wait to be warned twice. Right? Be a quick repenter. Learn for your first response to be adjustment. Which means your first response can't be arguing with God. Okay? Now, thankfully, the Scriptures make it plain, God puts up with arguing saints. But the time you waste arguing is time you could have been adjusting and experiencing His goodness. Some of us uh, argue, others of us just have a whole lot of questions. We ask God a lot of questions about what He tells us or what He warns us about. Right? And um, the kingdom of heaven operates on a need-to-know basis. He will tell you what you need to know to make the adjustment you need to make. And for those of us who like to know all the whys and wherefores, forget about it. That's not how God deals with us. Every once in a while, He'll give you a little more detail, and that's usually because you have a little more responsibility. (laughs) But can we agree that to be God's people in fact and in deed, we've got to be quick repenters. When God speaks, our mindset is not, shall I adjust, but how will I adjust? Right? So, their repentance was immediate. The second thing I noticed is, it wasn't just immediate, it was aggressive. These guys were aggressive repenters. They did all they could think to do based on what they heard the prophet say. Now, what did they hear the prophet say? I just want to remind you what Jonah said and what he left out, okay? Basically, his message was, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown or overturned or the translation I use most, demolished. So all Jonah did was tell him, you're going to get it. When mom and dad get home, (laughs) right? You're going to get what's coming to you. The only sliver of hope in his statement was in 40 days. Right? You got a grace period. I mean, a literal grace period. The only sliver of hope. You know what he left out? He left out That the God of Israel was the one doing it. He was a prophet sent from the God of Israel to the people of Nineveh, but he never even said who he was speaking for. I think this is the remainder of Jonah's reluctance. We find out in chapter 4, he was hoping they wouldn't repent at all. So he didn't even mention who the God was that could pull off such a thing. Hey, the Ninevites had plenty of gods. 
They knew about lots of gods. For some reason, they believed this prophet about this threat. And they did everything they could to repent. I mean, sackcloth, ashes, fasting. The, the, the big shots told the little shots. Here's how things are going to be. And everybody got on board. And by golly, they made their livestock fast. And I don't even know what it looks like to have sackcloth, uh, sackcloth and ashes on a heifer. But they did it. Right? They were aggressive about their repentance. Is there anybody else in this room who has a tendency when God speaks and you know you need to make an adjustment, there's something in your heart that says, okay, what is the minimal adjustment required? Why would you do that? Jesus... When he comes declaring the presence of the kingdom and paying the price so that all of the hidden riches of Christ could be yours by faith, he's not just giving you a threat, he's giving you a promise with the occasional reminder of the consequences of failing to capitalize on that promise, right? Why wouldn't a promise motivate you to more aggressive repentance than a threat? God's word to you today is, go all out in hope of God's promise. And don't be the person who's only motivated by threats. If you're only motivated by danger and you can't be motivated by hope, <laughs> that in itself points out a need for repentance, doesn't it? Third thing we can learn from their repentance is it was thorough. It was thorough as to population. It included the people in the streets and the people in the, in the penthouse. It was thorough, uh, and for that matter, the palace. It was thorough in including men and beasts. Which, by the way, is important in this story. It's the last thing God mentions in the story. I'll let Mark tell you about that next time. But um, when the Scriptures think about us as made in God's image and responsible for creation... Part of our responsibility is the beasts, right? It's an indicator of, uh, and of course, in the ancient world, your livestock represented your wealth. So if, you, if your wealth wasn't included in your repentance, your repentance was incomplete. Hello? Jesus comes laying claim to all creation and that includes all of your life. He is Lord. What are you going to do about it? That's, that's the message. <laughs> he is Lord. God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. What are you going to do about that? And the right response is thorough 
repentance. No adjustment of life is too great to live obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Can we agree? Now I know that when it comes to cases, that's a harder thing to agree to. But as a proposition, can we agree that everything you trade for Jesus and His kingdom, you win the trade. You win the deal. Your ashes for His beauty. Your sorrow for His comfort. Your despair for His joy. Yes? Why wouldn't we look for every possible way to adjust? So the thoroughness of repentance includes that when when God is speaking, particularly for our purposes, when God is speaking in a congregation like this, or in another setting where believers are gathered, may I exhort you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the good of your soul, always assume that the message is for you and for yours and not for someone else. (laughs) Okay? Don't listen to today's sermon or any sermon you ever hear thinking how much somebody you know needed to hear it. Hello? Not that that's illegitimate, but if that's all you're hearing, you are displaying the calcification of your own heart. Right? If, if the Holy Spirit is not piercing your shell, that's on you. Their repentance was demonstrative. They changed their appearance, their eating habits, and their speech. Any observer would have known something was up in Nineveh. This was not happening in their prayer closets. Everywhere you went in Nineveh, you knew there was a city in repentance. And yet somehow in the church, in at least our sliver of the church, we've developed this mindset that repentance is something that happens in my mental function alone between me and God. That's not enough, saints. Repentance shows. Repentance is obvious. Repentance changes the way you speak, the way you act, the way you dress. Now, it is possible to change those things and not repent. It is not possible to repent without changing those things. You hear me? Would you agree with me that we've kind of intellectualized this thing? Or in some cases just emotionalized it? Instead of, listen, the reason God made humans with a physical body was so that when He spoke to us, we could do it. Not ponder it. And by the way, I'm a ponderer. Okay? I like to ponder, I like to think, I like to consider. But I am a late comer to loving to do. 
Because that's where the juice of life is, saints. When Jesus called people to repentance, repentance included obvious behavioral changes motivated by believing what Jesus said. Now, if you make the changes and you didn't believe, you're a hypocrite. But if you believe, you will make the changes. And here's a trick, okay? The changes you make will be obvious, but you will not be doing them to be ostentatious. You will not be doing it to be seen of men, but you will be seen of men. You see, it, it's a pro- our hearts make this a problem. Because repentance will change your behavior. It will change your demeanor. It will change the way you treat people. It will change what you do with your time and your money and your energy. Right? It will definitely change the way you speak. It will change lots about you. And you will probably have to intentionally choose some of those. Some of those will happen more spontaneously. But you will be doing none of them to be seen. You will just be doing things that by their nature are obvious. You hear the difference? We are not here to make you better at being a hypocrite. As if you needed our help. We are here to help you understand that when you repent, you change. And when you change, somebody's going to notice. And it is in the category of observable change. Your body always needs to join the response. Do something with your body to seal your repentance, to express your repentance. We're going to do one of those today in just a moment when we come to the table of the Lord. Aren't you glad the Lord gave us these ordinances of baptism in the Lord's table so that physically we could give expression to what we've heard and believed from Jesus. You see? Every time we come to the table, uh, I like it that your normal practice is to get up off your backside and come receive what Jesus has offered. Right? I mean, if you can't get out of your chair to take the body and blood of Jesus, there's something missing for me if I don't ever get to do that. And that's what we're going to do in just a bit. There's another way their repentance challenges us. Their repentance was informed. How do I mean that? It says that when Jonah delivered his lowest common denominator prophecy, he told them the very least he could get away with without being thrown into another sea or swallowed by something worse than a fish. They believed God. Jonah didn't mention God, but the people believed God. I got a lot of questions about that. That's another sermon. They believed God, though Jonah never mentioned Him. They inferred correctly about the sender of the prophet. Now, now here's here's what I want to challenge you with. Everybody here is curious about something. 
Agreed? Now, we're curious about different things. You can, you can get to talking about things that fascinate you, and I don't get it at all. But curiosity is a big motivator, isn't it? When you're curious, you're motivated to know more. What you know just motivates you to know more. Not a bad point to be preaching before everybody starts school, right? Teaching is largely the stewardship of other people's curiosity. Here's the problem. And I'm just going to tell it to you the way I see it. And I see it first in me. God's people are not very curious about God. We're pretty satisfied with what we know about Him. And that's just plain dumb. I'd use another word, but my mama in heaven would disapprove. It is not, it makes no sense to have an infinite, all-powerful, all-caring, ever-present God and be satisfied with what you know about Him. You know why we lose our curiosity about God? Because every time you learn more about God, you have to adjust, and we get tired of adjusting. We reach a point in our lives, I told somebody the other day, all the stretch is gone from my rubber band. I felt that way a lot in the last several months. Have you? I'm a pretty flexible guy, but the stretch is gone. The next time I pull that sucker, it's going to snap. I think we get that way with God. God, you've changed me. Pardon me. You've changed me and you've stretched me. And I'm tired of stretching. I'd just rather... I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. I would just rather uh, stay the way I am and, and take care of the rest of this in heaven. Can you and I agree together today that that is an affront to the goodness and holiness of God? That He's willing to be known and you don't want to know Him. I don't want to know Him. We're willing to wait until Jesus returns or wait until the day of our death to know Him as He wants to be known. Not only is that foolish, it is reprehensible Jesus message is something greater than Jonah has come he gives us a promise not just a threat and he reveals in his promise the father who sent him and we listen to me Jesus doesn't tell us everything we want to know even about the kingdom Part of it is, he's a good teacher. A good teacher tells you enough to make you curious so that you will be motivated to find out the rest. Right? It's part of the reason. But some things, Jesus gives a certain information about God and His ways and His kingdom and His purposes. And then the rest of it, He says... What you don't know about 
the content I want you to infer from the messenger. And aren't you glad that our messenger is not Jonah? Our messenger is the Son who came revealing the Father. (laughs) And so if you need to do any inferring from incomplete information from God, which is, by the way, all any of us have, we have incomplete information from God, We infer based on what we know about the God who gives us the information. That's what I mean by informed repentance. Never stop being curious about the messenger of the covenant, Jesus. And then finally, their repentance was effective. (laughs) God saw, by the way, God saw their repentance. It was observable. Previous point, right? God saw their repentance. Oh, well, God looks on the heart. He knows. Come on now. We've used that biblical language, sound biblical language, but we've, we've abused it. Well, God knows my heart. He doesn't need to see. Yep. Yeah. No. God wants to see repentance. He saw And he relented. God reserves the right to go back on his threats. It's called mercy. God showed mercy to the city of Nineveh. He spared the city. He didn't destroy the city. To the degree that 150 years later, they were the predominant power of the ancient world. They were the big cheese just several generations after this. And you know what's amazing? We're not told that Nineveh ever called on the name of Yahweh, ever loved Him, or ever obeyed Him in any other way besides repenting when they received a threat from a reluctant prophet. (laughs) All we're told is that Nineveh wasn't destroyed. I I don't think we can read anything else into this other than he didn't wipe them off the map. But their repentance was effective. Jesus told us that our repentance is the way we get in on His rule. The way of life, I'm sorry, His rule is the way life and the world ought to be. His kingdom is our best life. Both now and for eternity. And effective repentance doesn't mean life stops hurting. Effective repentance means you experience the rule and reign of Jesus in the middle of whatever is causing your pain. See, one of the things that comes from pain and suffering and difficulty is that we really learn the lesson that it's not about us. And apparently, it's the only way humans learn such things. (laughs) Adjust your life to Jesus' message and expectancy 
that the reward of your repentance, if you want to use that language, is you lay hold of the unsearchable riches of Christ. You have been blessed in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And I want the heaven, I, I want the blessings deposited with Christ in heaven to be delivered into the life I'm living today. How about you? Repentance is not the only thing, but it is a necessary and, and again, I want to come back to where I started. Most of your adjustments will not be 180 degree turns, which actually makes them harder. Right? Harder to maintain. So maybe I'm just making a 12 degree adjustment. Well, that's so close to what I was doing that for me, it's easier to slide back to the original. Is that. Does that word picture help at all? It's like, Lord, at least give me a hard 90. <laughs> but, but the adjustments are, the more you walk with Jesus, the more you hear His voice, and the more His Word is transforming your mind and your heart, and the more His Spirit's voice is speaking to you, most of your, joys, most of your adjustments are taps of the steering wheel, not hard turns. Does that make sense? So a life of repentance isn't a life of herky-jerky inconsistency. As the poet put it, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And you just you adjust. You adjust to what God is showing you and what God is telling you. Whenever God speaks, however He speaks, it is our responsibility as His image bearers to respond by adjusting to what He says. Do something. Do something. As a believer in Christ, you have repented in the way that matters most. But His Spirit is teaching you to keep on adjusting. Every day, in every way, <laughs> to enjoy the kingdom of heaven, the death and resurrection and session of Christ has made yours. If you're not living this way, <clears throat> or if you've never surrendered to Jesus as the one who is both able and trustworthy with your life, do it. Do it. Offer your body a living sacrifice so that whatever He wants, your body is available to Him to do. Amen? Let me pray for you. Before I pray, I want to just ask a couple of questions. <clears throat> pardon me, and in response, I'd like you to just kind of wave to me so I'll know who I'm praying for if I name something that applies to you. So the first group I want to pray for, the people I understand best are the ones who sin like I do. Say, Tom, 
I'm guilty of admiring God's truth and not doing it. And I need the help of the Holy Spirit to be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only who deceives himself. Just wave to me if that's you. Okay. My people. <clears throat> We're going to pray. Because that is a sin highly tolerated in church life. Therefore, we don't get held accountable for it much. <clears throat> Thank you, Paul. Now I want to um, I want to ask about a second group of believers. Tom, today I realized that I haven't considered repentance as a normal daily thing that I need to be doing. And I want to live that way. Give me a little wave if that's you. Yeah, good. Now I'm not going to ask you to wave on this one, but I just want you to know if you're here today and you're hearing not the voice of a preacher who came from out of town, you're hearing a voice that is the voice of the God of the universe who made you and who wants you for His own. We beg you to join us in turning 180 degrees from the life you've lived and the sins you've loved for the better life Jesus came for you to have. You don't have to leave this room today without knowing that He is yours and you are His. There are people seated around you who would love to tell you how to know Him. And we're going to pray for you too. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for speaking to us. Thank You for this story. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit's presence in speaking with us here today. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who acknowledge the stubbornness of their hearts. Lord, that one group is, is a group that... Uh, that I really can pray for with empathy because, Lord, I am so guilty. We, I'm praying for all of us, we are so guilty of admiring the wonders and beauties of Your truth and not doing anything with what we admire. Lord, we confess that to You as sin. And we confess to You that we have left on the table many riches <laughs> that You want us to have. So by the help of Your Holy Spirit, will You make us doers of Your Word? And will You make us intent, intent on doing Your Word? Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here today who are seeing today, maybe for the first time, maybe not, that repentance is a privilege they want to experience every day single day, several times a day, whenever necessary. I ask You, Holy Spirit, to walk them and guide them through the steps of learning how to do that. And I pray for more than that. I pray that You will either put a person in their lives, another believer who will help them learn to do it, or, 
or activate a relationship that already exists as a mentor and a helper and an encourager to become a daily frequent adjuster. (laughs) And Lord, all of us who know You, pray together today for anyone here who needs to trust You through Christ for the very first time. Oh, how we want the family to grow and the riches of Christ to be experienced by people who are utterly at the end of trying to make life work on their own terms. Holy Spirit, will You do what only You can do? Will You reveal and convict and persuade and draw? And will You grant us the favor of seeing new children of Yours brought into Your family through the life of this church? Including some in this room today. In Jesus' name, Amen. God's Word is good. He's good to speak to us. So, we are going to obey Jesus to our own benefit today. That's the way it always works, by the way. All of His commands are enticements to receive His goodness. He's commanded us out of His love for us and His concern for us to receive His broken body and His shed blood. In light of what we've just heard, I want to remind you that for His promises to be true for you, He had to suffer. He chose to bleed. He chose to be spat upon, to be be beaten, to be mocked, to be shamed, so that He could keep His promise of God's rule and God's favor in our lives. And all He asks, all He commands is, remember. (laughs) Remember. Remember what it cost Jesus for you to have everything that belongs to Him. That's what we're doing today. And that's why it's a celebration. It's a remembrance of His suffering and a celebration of the sharing of His glory through His shed blood and His broken body. And so, before you come, let me remind you that this is a feast for those who belong to the Lord. If you are His, you belong at this table with us. If you are not His, we look forward to the day when you can join us. We want you to belong at this table. And uh, the sooner, the better. But until you do, this table is Jesus' table for His own. And in just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to come and receive. So let me remind you that on the night Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread from the table. And He broke it. And He blessed it. And He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And remember 
what I was willing to suffer for you to have everything that belongs to me. And in like manner, at the end of the meal, He took the cup and He blessed it and He said, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. My blood shed for the remission of your sins. So that everything that rightly belongs to Jesus now belongs to you. Take it and drink it, Jesus says, in remembrance of me. Will you stand with me? Let me pray a prayer of blessing and then you may come one row at a time to receive the cup with the bread inside here at the front. Lord Jesus, we can't thank You enough for what You've done and for the way You've given us to enact our faith and our repentance and our love in receiving Your broken body and Your shed blood. Meet us at this table, Holy Spirit, and do in us what Your Word has proclaimed to us today. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Come to the table of the Lord. And if you would, uh, rise with me one more final time and place your hands in a receiving position. And I just want to speak uh, the Lord's blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You're dismissed.